A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 92 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode today, but let's bring in my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much. My voice still isn't back. It's been almost a week. Started going out last Friday. We're recording this Thursday night, so six days. I feel like it's probably like 70 grade now, not fully 80, but we're getting there. So <laughs> I feel like I can at least talk through a full episode, unlike last week. So I, th- I think you thought your voice was worse than I thought your voice was. Like, I, what'd you say? Like 40 grade last <laughs> week? I was like, it's still like 55 grade. Like, we're, we're always our own worst <laughs> critics. So it, that is 100% true. Uh, we're finally through our positional previews. That was a lot of fun. Thank you to all of the phenomenal guests we had on over the last who three four weeks or so. Uh, we had, I guessed multiple guests every episode except for what was when we didn't have guests. Third base, I believe it was. Yeah, um, nice. But I had a ton of great guests. So go back and check all of those. Out. A lot of good talk, uh, positional player talk, and strategy talk, and mix in some prospects at each position, of course. So go check those out if you missed them. And today we'll be discussing. Uh, the National League DH, which is being implemented, it sounds like. So we will get into all the beneficiaries of that, both at the major league level and for prospects. But before we do that, let's get through the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross 4 and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed uh, for extra written content from both Chris and I. And, of course, check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the Fantrax HQ network, including our 2022 draft kits. Let's get right into it, Chris. When you heard that the you know the NLGH was finally coming full-time, so what were your initial reactions? Did your mind immediately go to any players in particular? But what were your initial thoughts? You know, I've been kind of drafting fancy drafts with the anticipation that it was going to happen. It kind of seemed like it was inevitable. But again, who knows? I mean, with, with the MLB, like anything could happen. So who really knows if it was going to or not? And we're still moving under the assumption that it will. But uh, who knows? The MLB, the negotiations have been crazy. So yeah, you know, we don't know for sure if it's happening. But I'm moving under the assumption. I have been under the assumption that it is, which is exciting because I think it does change the dynamics a little bit. And there's 
definitely some beneficiaries. Listen, I know there's been a lot of articles, a lot of podcasts already that have talked about this. We're going to try to hit it from a different angle and talk about some – I know a lot of pods have gone like team by team where they have just walked through and looked at a player that's going to benefit. We're going to do that a little differently. We're going to look at a, a wide spectrum of this, looking at prospects, dynasty beneficiaries, a lot of things. And so looking at who benefits the most from it, and I do think this helps a variety of people. Some injured players coming back, it helps catchers in my opinion. You may yep. even see prospects get a shot. Like prospect that comes to mind, like Juan Yapez, who didn't have an opening anywhere in the Cardinals lineup, may have a chance now to crack the lineup. So that's certainly a beneficiary. And we're going to talk all, about them all now. And I, I do think it's a good list. I think it does. You need to ding National League pitchers a little bit. I yeah. don't think we factor that fully in, but I, I think you should tack on a little bit because that's a major difference that we're going to be experiencing. And, it's one that probably we don't wait heavy enough, but I would expect a little dip in production for from National League pitchers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I think everybody's focusing on, which obviously you know I, I don't uh, I don't blame them for focusing on you know the offensive side of it and who benefits on the hitting side of things. But yeah, definitely adding another you know like let's look out in uh, what's a good spot. Let's say St. Louis. Would you rather be facing? You know, a Juan Yapez type of guy. If you're, you know, a pitcher, would you rather be facing Adam Wainwright? You know, I'd rather be facing a pitcher that you know is slashing. You know, what, what was it? The pitchers were slashing like one twelve, one fifty eight, two ten. I guess overall, it's very bad. Yeah, the strikeout rate was obnoxious. Yeah, was it? I think it was forty percent. No, I think it was close to fifty percent actually. Yeah, it so, was like fifty plus. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and yeah, and you have like your occasional pitcher that hits well. Okay. Take Otani out of it. He's different. Um, <laughs> your occasional pitcher that hits well, like Madison Bumgarner. Um, here's some other examples here. Uh, Marzullo Cologne. <laughs> Cologne, <laughs> yes. Um, going back like Carlos Zambrano. You get your occasional you know, p- pitcher that could actually handle the lumber, but those are few and far between. So, yeah, you're going to get much better hitter in the, in the lineup now, um, team to team. And, yeah, that definitely dings. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to ding, like, the top guys too much. I'm not like, worried about, like, Corbin Burns and Walker Bueller and those types. But, you know, maybe the guys that are, you know, your back-end type players that um, this dings them even more. Maybe they're not quite as uh, worth, you know, drafting this year. Um, but when I went team through, yeah, you said team by team. That's how everyone's kind of approaching this. And that's how I kind of did it in my article over on Fantasy Pros. But doing so... I found that, what was it, two-thirds of teams in the NL, I didn't see a clear beneficiary. It was like some teams, like I could see like a rotation of, you know, three or four guys. Some teams like Philly could just use it to rest their veterans, like Muto and Harper. So I only found five teams where I'm like, boom, that's the guy. So it's definitely, I think everyone thinks like there's going to be all these added Values and there will be to some degree, and I'm sure others will. Other situations will be, you know, more clear in a month or two. Hopefully, when we get baseball back, but there, there's a lot of teams where it's just like, all right, there's going to be probably a handful of guys, and nobody's really going to experience this huge uh, value jump. Well, I think it's worth noting that most National League teams weren't built for this. Exactly. I mean, I assume most were operating under the assumption, but you know, who's going to go out and sign a, a Nelson Cruz in the National League without knowing for sure, like? That would have been a dumb decision. 
And so most National League rosters aren't constructed that way. You have the Mets, who now just have way too many players on the roster. So you look at the Mets, and you're like, all right, Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, like those guys could benefit. But most teams, you look at it, and it's like, there's not a DH on this roster. So we're going to see – here's what's going to happen. The, the lockout's going to end. Spring training is going to be abbreviated. And there's going to be a flurry of moves very, very quick. Yep. It's going to be very quick. Things are going to turn over really quick and happen. And teams are ready to do that. Like they're more than ready to make this happen because the season's going to be starting quick. Like no doubt in my mind, there's an abbreviated spring training and they're going to do everything they can to play a full season. So it's going to happen quick. Turnaround time is going to be quick. So we're going to see National League teams jumping on guys trying to get these spots filled. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see players like Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz could go to a National League team. It'd be, be huge for him. Yeah. Now, there's still several free agents out there. Uh, Kyle Schwarber could be another guy that could be a nice yep. DH fit. Nelson Crew, Adam Duvall, Jorge yep. Soler. Um, there's definitely still a handful of those intriguing power bats that they don't have an extra 15 teams. So, especially like Nelson Cruz, yeah, Schwarber can play the field a little bit. So can Soler and Duvall. But you know, a guy like Nelson Cruz, like at this point, he's a DH guy. So. Uh, definitely added a little added value there because he can go DH full time um, and have in the National League, and that opens up another 15 teams he could sign with. So, um, yeah, it's definitely going to be. Hopefully, that flurry comes soon because baseball fan. I think we've been patient <laughs> as a whole, but we're starting to get a little frustrated here. Like spring training was supposed to, our pitchers and catchers were supposed to report a couple of days ago, and now it's you hear like, oh, the meeting today was 15 minutes. I'm like. 15 minutes. Are we serious right now? Um, not not to get into that discussion, but yeah, definitely. Let's go, Major League Baseball. Let's get this done so we can get all these extra moves done to get spring training going, get season started on time. Let's get it going here. Um, the, the Mets were an interesting team that I looked at because I think people wanted it to be, you know, J.D. Davis or Dominic Smith because they both have had success in the past and in different seasons and Sure that they could be viable hitters and viable fantasy options, but do you think? Are, are you looking at that team? Do you think either one of those two seizes that DH spot? I think that it might be maybe a platoon for you know between the two of them. Maybe some Robinson Cano sprinkled in if he's still there. <laughs> did you did you see a clear? I think people looked at the Mets as one of the teams they go to first with this. Right. Did you see a clear beneficiary uh, there between those two? No, and I, I don't think the Mets are done either. I think they're going to sign more players, which. Yeah. Bumps him. I mean, it in my opinion, McNeil's probably on the outs. JD Davis is probably on the outs and Dom's on the outs, depending on what they do. But dude, I'm not gonna be surprised when they go out and sign several more hitters. Like that's just what they're gonna do. They've they're gonna blow money. They've shown it. And so I'm not gonna be surprised. I mean, right now <laughs> they've roster resource at least has Cano and JD Davis in that platoon spot in the designated hitter, which is interesting. Dom is probably the best fit for a DH. Dom is not good in the field. He's not taking Pete Alonso's spot at first base. There's zero chance of that happening. So I don't know. I, I mean, I think Dom maybe it's the first one traded and Dom could benefit elsewhere. Like he could end up in a lineup. Like I would love him in Atlanta as the DH. Like, you know, and once again, we haven't seen him proven much other than that short in 2020 season. So maybe we're just looking too much into him, but uh, who knows? It, it's hard to say for sure. I, I, J.D. Davis is a really good bat when he's on the field. Very good. He He's one that he gets beat up, so maybe the DH would be good for him. But, yeah, there's no clear cut, in my opinion, on this team because there's no telling what they're going to do once the lockout ends. They're going to go wild, I think. 
yeah, like they've already signed Max Scherzer, Mark Hanha, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Yeah, the Mets have shown that they want to spend money and they have more money to spend. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised either if they went out and signed a couple more players after the lockout ends here, hopefully soon. Um, but speaking of your Braves, though, I think Marcelo Azuna, I think, is a beneficiary here. But he can just DH full time now or close to full time. Maybe he still get some outfield mixed in. But uh, him coming back and looks like he'll be, you know, full go. Uh, for 2022 and we kind of forget because of all the stuff that went on last year or the last couple of years and back in the, the uh, shortened 2020 season he led the league in home runs with 18 rbi with 56 and total bases with 145 while slashing a ridiculous 338 431 636 obviously that probably will go down as his best year of his career but look at that. a few years before that 37 home runs and 124 rbi uh, with a 312 average his last year in Miami back in 2017 and had t- 23 home runs or more in each of the four years between 20, 2016 and 2019. So this could be a very good f- uh, thing for his value. Yeah, I think so. I think he's probably a natural fit. Um, I am feel pretty good the Braves are committed to him based on what they've said. So I think he's going to be there. And he's one that largely benefits from this i mean you look in 2020 they did have the designated hitter and he blossomed he was able to not play the field every day and he blossomed in that role and i think the bat's still really good i mean you've seen the power he's able to hit for average i think even if he doesn't hit for average he's still a 270 type hitter with big power so you look at a guy that doesn't have to worry about his glove at all it's going to slot right in in the designated hitter role and i think that he could be i mean you hate to even talk about him as being a great value right now, but he is. And that's the reality of the fantasy game we're playing is that Ozuna is a great value with outfield eligibility. That's going to be a DH and going to play a lot. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of drafting Ozuna post 200. Yeah. Where he's going right around that 200 mark and in, in February drafts, I could see another, you know, 300, I'm assuming uh, 30 and hundred season with a good average hitting right in the middle of, you know, even if, even if they don't break, bring back Freddie, I, I gotta feel like they bring in some bat. Whether they re-sign Freddie, you know, maybe they trade for Olsen, get another free agent in there. Who knows? But even if they don't, you know, he'll be hitting middle of the order with Ozzy, with Austin Riley, with uh, Dansby Swanson. It's like it's still gonna be a very good order, especially in, like the top two thirds of it. So um, yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely really liking Ozuna's value and uh, this season. So. Um, definitely going to be a, a target of mine as we get into drafts here in the month of March coming up. Uh, another team that I was really interested in was Arizona. You know, Seth Beer, first off, you know, he's one of those uh, prospects that I think really benefits from the NLDH. Cause, but you know, even dating back to his days at Clemson, like it was pretty clear that this was a, you know, you, you hear of bat first prospects he was really a bat only prospect. Like there was never a time when he was looked at as a good defender. He's below at well below average runner. Doesn't have good range. Can't really play the field well. So he was a guy like, all right, this guy should have been drafted by an American league team, you know, back in, what was it? 2019, 2019, mm-hmm. been a while. Yeah. Maybe what, what did he get drafted? Yeah. Tw- um, a few years ago when he was drafted. And obviously at that point in time, we didn't have, you know, the NLDH. Now we do. So, I think Seth Beer is a logical fit here, both for 2022 and long-term as a guy that sees his value increase. Yeah, he's a huge beneficiary here, and he's probably my favorite target like prospect-wise at this point. It's crazy to still see him as a prospect, but there's big power here. 
the ability to get the bat on the ball pretty often. And he didn't have a true spot in that lineup and he's a true designated hitter. And so he's going to benefit significantly from this. He's going so late, like last pick in a 30 round draft. You can get him post 500 and like a draft champions. He's going to be a beneficiary in my opinion. And I think he's going to be worth a lot more than his ADP. And so Seth Beer is what I'm saying. You should definitely draft. And I think that his ADP has already been creeping up. I know, I think James Anderson's talked a little bit about him. So the price has creeped up a little bit, but shoot, you can still get good value on him right now. And that's one where I'm targeting a lot. Like I was targeting him before and even, even more so now. I think that there's a, a really clear fit here for him to slot into that lineup every single day because he's a really good bat. He is, and he's proven that at every every level he's been at. College, low minors, upper minors. You know, obviously, he hasn't really had a, he's only had a nine at-bats here in the major leagues, but look at in college uh, at Clemson, he was there for three years. Slash line, 322, 489, 648, 180 walks to 98 Ks. Uh, yeah, he was drafted back in 2018 uh, by Houston, um, actually, and in the minors, he's First year, 304, 389, 496 slash line. And back, that was back in 2018. In 2019, which was uh, high A and double A, 289, 388, 516, 26 home runs in 122 games. And then this past year in AAA, 287, 398, 511, with 16 home runs in 100 games. So he's just hit everywhere he's gone. I think he can be a very, very solid four-category guy. He's shown the ability to hit for a high average. You know, draw. He can draw a good amount of walks. The OBP will always be pretty solid. Um, minor league walk rate was around nine percent. It was even higher than that in college. So I think he can be like that nine, ten percent walk rate guy. Keeps the strikeouts in check. He's never really had an issue with strikeouts. I think one year like back in twenty nineteen, it ticked up just over twenty percent, but never been an issue for him. He doesn't have huge raw power, but definitely a guy that could be like twenty five or so home runs. Maybe he flirts with thirty one year, but you know, another 270, 25 homer type. So, um, and he could slot in right now into that DH role out there in, in Arizona. And right now, Ross Richards has him in the DH spot platooning with, um, I can't tell if it's Jordan Leplo or Cooper Hummel, but I don't think they're going to really threaten his playing time. I think Beers would be the natural fit there. And even another guy on this team too, that I think could benefit would be Dalton Varsho. Just another, another way to get his bat in the lineup every day and i think if there's any kind of reservation from anybody that he was going to be a full-time guy and be worth the adp right around pick 100 i think you got to kind of throw those doubts out the window now because between uh, center field versus where he'll probably start most of his games i think you'll still get some time behind the plate they don't really have a great backup right now to carson kelly you know they've like jose herrera's on the roster but he's not really you know he's more of a journeyman at uh, this point. And so you think you'll get still get 20 to 30 games behind the plate from Dalton Varsho. And then, you know, if Kelly's catching and they want to get somebody else in the center field, they can still put Varsho at DH. So I am, I'm liking his, I was, I was a little hesitant about the ADP, not the player, but that's the ADP. But now that he's, you know, going to be a full-time player, I think potential 2010 season with catcher eligibility, you know, I, I'm on board. What, what are your thoughts on Varsho this year, that ADP with the uh, DH now? Yeah, and everybody's scared that he's going to lose catcher eligibility, but who else are they going to play? Like Carson Kelly's not going to catch every day. Right. He's, he's, he can't stay healthy either. So I do think Varso gets enough reps to stay catcher eligible for the foreseeable future. 
And you're right. I do think that there's a lot of moving parts in this Arizona lineup. It's for the most part, it's not great, but it does benefit a lot of people. Like where it, like you mentioned, I think you're going to see an uptick in, in Varsho. Honestly, you might even see an uptick in Carson Kelly. Like Kelly is not super durable behind the plate. So he may get more plate appearances. He's catcher eligible and he's shown at times that he can be a really good bat. So he may even see some more time. You see Seth beer, Cooper Hummel's interesting. Like, there's a lot of interesting names here that that could see benefit at time because Seth Beer is not like locked in there. He can play some first. I know Christian Walker's at first base, but Beer can play some first. He can play some corner outfield. While he's not great at either, he can see some time there still. So there's a lot of names in this Arizona lineup that I think this extra lineup spot benefits significantly. So a lot of players are going to see an uptick in at-bats, in my opinion. Yeah, and good thing you mentioned Carson Kelly and his catchers in general too. I think – you got to look at giving catchers in the in the National League in general just a nice little bump up. Just the, the top guys, you know, looking at guys like Wilson Contreras for the Cubs. Will, Will Smith, I think, is a huge beneficiary uh, that doesn't get talked about enough because you know Will Smith. They, you know, they like you know they have all the catchers and they you know have certain catchers. They, they love Austin Barnes there. He always he always gets his time. But I think Will, with this added DH, you know, the, the Dodgers were another team that were really. Uh, intriguing me w- with this added DH spot because I think you get some more Will Smith. I think he's a guy that could now, you know, still catch as usual, you know, 120 or so, and then add in another. This could this could literally give him another 60, 70 plate appearances over the course of a season. And we've seen that, you know, pound for pound, Will Smith, you know, you could argue that he is the best hitting catcher in the game. I know Sal Perez went crazy last year and JT's still around. He's, you know, still a very good option, but. It wouldn't surprise me to see Will Smith with the added, you know, like I said, 60, 70 plate appearances flirt with a 30 homer, 100 RBI season with his usual really good OBP and, you know, 80 to 90 runs scored. And I think if Sal Perez comes back down to earth, it wouldn't surprise me if Will Smith ended the year as the number one catcher. What, what do you think? Are you uh, are you liking Will Smith even more now? I mean, the, the up in plate appearances certainly helps. But I, Matty Wood tweeted this out. Matthew Davis tweeted this out earlier, and I found it really interesting. So he asked the question, excluding Sal Perez 2021 season, when was the last time a catcher finished in the top 20 in plate appearances for Ooh. anybody? So overall plate appearances. Do you, you know the answer? I do, yes. He, I saw it. Give me. Let's see, let me give a few guesses here. Um, what year how, do you think was the last time that happened? What year? What player or what year? What year first? What year do you think it was? And it was finishing top 20 in plate appearances? Top 20 in plate appearances. Perez did it this year with 665. 2013. It was 09. Crazy. 09. Uh, Let's see. Let me guess here. Who's uh, Russell Martin? Nope. Uh, Yachty? Detroit. Detroit. 09 Detroit. Victor Martinez? Yes, Victor Martinez. He had Ooh. 672 in 2009. I, f- I feel like he was de- – he, he, he started de-aging a lot later in his career. He probably did, yeah, but he had catcher eligibility then. So, yeah, so that – you think about that, and you think about Sal's plate appearances and how much he plays. Like, that just gives him such an edge. So, I mean, how many how many at-bats did Will Smith see last year? Uh, Will Smith last year had – I just had it up here. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, he had 501 plate appearances last okay. year. So he played 130 games. Let's say he sees 145. Because 
that's a lot of games, even without a DH. Like 130 games behind the plate's a lot. So let's say he plays a little less behind the plate, and then he plays some more DH. So if you bump him up 15 games, we'll say, yeah, four plate appearances a game in that Dodgers lineup. That's 60 more. So that still only puts him at 560. Like I just think Sal Perez just sees so much more time, and I could be wrong. Like we could see Smith playing 160 games. Like who knows? But I'm still taking Perez. I, I think Perez just has more power. The average is probably going to be pretty close. I think we see the average is pretty close this year. The OBP edge is definitely Will Smith, though. There's yeah. no question about that. He, I mean, he's a much better OBP threat than Sal. So I think the gap will probably be closed a little bit. But the difference last year was just outrageous like how many like auction value like earned auction value dollars they had like it was nuts the difference at catcher last year like 37 dollars to sal perez will smith had 13 he was sec the second best catcher tied with jt real muto earned dollars 37 to 13 like it was a huge gap and i'm not sure and yeah uh perez is going to come down to earth a little bit don't think we see 48 home runs again don't think <laughs> we see 121 rbi again but the gap is pretty large so It'll be interesting though. I do think that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I I would still I still have Sal Perez as my number one catcher for this year, but I do think it's closer now at least. Like you know, I, I wrote my article on Will Smith. I think about a year. I think it was last off season, and just and his numbers did tick down from his twenty twenty year. Like you know, hard hit rate was down a little bit. K rate went up a little bit. Some of the contact metrics went down a little bit, but still one of the best hitting catchers in baseball and one of the best lineups in baseball top five lineup easily. So uh, I'm definitely liking Will Smith. And yeah. he, he's a guy that, you know, I'm not going to go anywhere near. Salpred's ADP um, since January 1st in uh, NFBC DCs is 39.9. No thanks. Uh, I would definitely, if, if looking at just ADP, Will Smith is about uh, almost two rounds later at pick 65. JT's at 53. I'd probably go just looking at ADP, I'd probably rather take Will Smith in the, you know, fifth round than I would take Sal Perez in the third. I think that's definitely, I don't think there's a three round gap in their value. No, no. Perez is going really high. I haven't drafted him anywhere except I think like a best ball where he fell a decent bit, but yeah, I, I do think the gap gets closed. I think we see a better season from Will Smith, honestly, and a, a worse season from Sal Perez, but still, I still have Sal have, it's close, but at the price point, I could see going Will Smith definitely at the dollar value or where, where they're getting drafted. Agreed. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side, talk a few more major league beneficiaries, and then get talk about some prospects that benefit from this long term. So don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's stick in the out in Los Angeles here for a quick second here, because you know when Will Smith is not going to be DHing, I think another pretty solid beneficiary to be Gavin Lux, a a very uh, favorite of ours here in this podcast. Yeah, we've talked about quite a bit over the last two years or a year and a half of doing this podcast, but he was all right. Like finally, when everyone thought Chris Taylor was gonna leave via free agency all right gavin lux will take over at second base finally here we go adp's moving up and then taylor re-signed before the lockout started it was kind of surprised i thought i think everyone thought he was gonna sign elsewhere but 
they love him there. They've always loved guys like Chris Taylor. So they brought him back on a, on a pretty you know, decent, I think it was like, what, four years, 58 or something like that yeah, overall? Yeah, close to 60, I think. Yeah, so right about four, 14, 15 per year. You know, solid contract for what he brings and his versatility and leadership. He's still only 31. I thought, I thought he was older than 31. But so now with him back, he's probably going to get the lion's share of that time at second base. So it was like, all right, what about Gavin Lux? It'll be another year of him in and out of the lineup and not you know returning any fancy value. But with this added DH, Maybe he's a guy that is the person that's there more often than not. And then he can still, you know, play some second to give Taylor and Taylor can move around to short outfield, et cetera. Maybe he still gets some shortstop to give Trey Turner a breather. So I think between second short and even Glux has played a little bit of outfield. I don't know if they'll need him out there this year, but it's between the couple spots in the, in the, in the field plus that DH. Now I think Gavin Lux is back on the map. Yeah, it's possible. And my fear is that the Dodgers go out and make a flurry of moves. I mean, they've let some really good players walk, which is interesting. But yeah, who knows? I mean, in the current state of the lineup, I do think Gavin Lux is the beneficiary. You're going to see AJ Pollock get some time at the DH. I mean, the, the man's made of glass, still a good bat. But I think he's a beneficiary from the DH. So you could see potentially Gavin Lux playing the outfield some more, but he wasn't comfortable with that. You could tell last year, like, he wasn't comfortable at all. So I think Muncie's injury also matters too. Like if Muncie's end up out for the year or misses significant time, because then you probably shift Bellinger back over to first base in the current state of the lineup. And then you see Lux in center field, but also Chris Taylor could play center field too. There's going to be a lot. We, the Dodgers have done this. There's a lot of interchanging throughout this lineup pretty consistently, but yes, in the current state of the lineup, Gavin Lux should get regular at bats. I don't yeah. really see anybody that's going to take them. I hope so. I mean, <laughs> Me I, too. I, I've been I've been looking for. for I want to see like Gavin Lux is, is at that point in his. It's still a young career. He's still very young. Uh, what is he? Is he twenty five? He's twenty. Now? Just turned twenty four. Oh, just turned twenty four. Yeah, so still very young. And I think people are you know that the shiny you know value of his when he he had that big triple A season a couple years ago. That's kind of in the rear view at this point. So I think it's that that crucial time of Lux's career. Like, all right, we need to see what is Gavin Lux as a player. What is he as a fantasy asset? Is he going to be a guy that could be an annual top 10 second baseman that we can draft as a top 100 player? Or is he is this what is is he going to be another one of those Dodger kind of utility infielders that has their value suppressed because they're not playing full time? I think both of those options are still out there. I think it's definitely a toss up at this point, but I want to at least see, I want to at least get like a one year where, all right, he had 600 plate appearances and he only hit like 240 with 14 home runs and four steals. Okay. That could be a possibility. And like, all right, maybe Gavin Lux isn't the great offensive talent that we thought. And he was just a product of, you know, good minor league hitting environments, but I want to at least see, you know, I want to give, I want give him that chance to see what he's capable of. Cause we saw this talent is there. I don't think anyone questions that, but he hasn't really had that chance to show it over a prolonged stretch. And you saw some spurts over the last couple of years where he'd start to get going a little bit, that he'd be back on the bench or back playing two times a week when somebody came back from the, the IL or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I'm looking at Gavin Lux this year. Like this is, this is, I think maybe make or break is a little harsh, but I think definitely a huge year for his fantasy value moving forward. So, I'm, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm a Gavin Lux guy, so I'm, I'm hoping he 
kind of seizes that DH spot and runs with it. Yeah, and I think you're not wrong saying it's it's make or break. I really do think that that's really how it feels. I mean, there's always the post-type guys that don't pan immediately. He could be 27 before he puts it all together, but I'm hoping it's the age 24 season this year. Like, that's my hope. And I, I'm a big Gavin Lux fan. We've been Lux fans on here for a while. So let's hope that this is it and that he puts it all together. Now, let's say, what's hypothetical, let's say he does get the, the playing time here and gets, let's say he gets those 600 play appearances this season. What do you think we could realistically see from Gavin Lux? Do you think a top 10 second base step season is possible this year from him? Yeah, I mean, it should be. If that's not a major feat <laughs> looking at second base. <laughs> yes, true. second base is deeper than it was. But if you, yeah, even using projections, if he ends up at 600 plate appearances, I think he's a 20 home run bat that steals close to 10 bases. The average could fluctuate. I, I've always thought Lux had a really good hit tool. So maybe. Maybe we were looking at a 270 type hitter. That's pretty valuable. I would say 270, 2010 puts him in a top 10 second baseman. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that, that is possible. I think the talent is there to do so. Um, so it definitely be intriguing to see. I'll, I'll be keeping a close eye on the Dodgers here following, you know, whenever we get back to being able to see free agent moves and trades and, and everything. So see what they do and see, you know, the health of Max Muncy. I think will play into this as well. So, a lot of uh, kind of moving parts and unfinished business out there with the Dodgers. So, but definitely, I, I think initially on paper, a little value boost for both Gavin Lux and Will Smith. And another saying out in, in the National League West, another team that kind of intrigued me here was the San Francisco Giants. You know, a guy that I wrote up, I've wrote up a couple different times already, which is kind of weird. I never thought I'd be writing up this guy more than once. Uh, Darren Ruff. Now, he's a guy that, you know, earlier he, when he was in the major leagues years ago, you know, had minimal success. He was more so a, you know, platoon guy, bench power bat you know, in his days with Philly from 2012, 2016, then went and played overseas for a handful of years, came back in 2020. And since then, in 412 plate appearances, uh, he's 21 home runs, 61 RBI. Uh, he's hit over 270 with an OBP over 370 and a slug over 500. In each of those two seasons, yeah, it was 2020 with a shorter sample size. But I think Darren Ruff, where, he, where he's going uh, in drafts, which is incredibly late. Let me pull it back up here. Uh, see, no, I don't want Brendan Woodruff. I want Darren Ruff. There we go. 426 on NFBC. He's dual eligible, you know, first base and outfield. I think, you know, 500 plus weight appearances could yield close to 30 home runs. And that is a huge, huge with an average that won't kill you. I don't think he's going to hit like 210 or anything like that he's hit over 270 each of the last two years. So I'm liking Darren Ruff for he's going this year with the added DH that he can slot right into. Yep. He is a natural fit. Also think Brendan belt benefits. You think belt gets injured so often. Yeah. Benefit him playing there. Evan Longoria is 36 years old. He could see some time there. So there's moving parts here like Arizona where a lot of guys could see being benefits. I mean, Tommy Lestella, this lineup is full of like older vets that <laughs> can't stay healthy and that have shown signs of being like elite. No, I won't say elite, but having great seasons at some point that have all been derailed by injury. So you could see Lestella in the DH role. You could see, uh, you could see Brandon Belt. Uh, you could see Evan Longoria, but Ruff is the most natural fit, I think, here. He probably sees the biggest rise in value, I think, which is a good thing. I think we'll see. I mean, last year he had 312 plate appearances. No reason he can't get 500, in my opinion. Brennan Belt only had 381 last year. 
he should easily be able to get 550 or more, in my opinion. Was still at 242 last year. I think he's benefited too. I think we see some more out of him. Longoria, less than 300 last year. He should see a bump too. So all these guys are, are very intriguing. This lineup could be much more intriguing by this added DH. So it'll be fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned like this is a very old lineup. Like, all right, Chris, tell me, I'll take away obviously Joey Bart is, is the youngest that a projected starter will say. The youngest is Joey Bart by a handful of years. Can you even name who the second youngest projected starter is in this team? Do they have any under 30? There was one uh, one more under 30. Uh, 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 Austin Slater is not projected to start, is he? No, he's a looks like a platoon. Okay. Uh, Lamont is Lamont Wade Jr. under 30? It is. Yep. He's 28 years old. And you got Lestella's wow. 33, Belt's almost 34, Crawford just turned 35, Longoria's 36, Yaz is 31. Um, Ustramski, sorry, I'm a Boston guy. We, we just shorten it to Yaz. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Yaz, uh, yeah, he's 31. Uh, Ruff is 35. Uh, and then Joey Bart's 25, which is the wow. youngest by a country mile. Three years wow. younger than Lamont Wade Jr. So, um, yeah, definitely a very old lineup here. But, yeah, definitely Good intriguing. Joke. Yeah, but Brendan Belt is definitely a beneficiary, like you mentioned, because you look at the numbers for Brendan Belt, like, his quality of contact metrics have been pretty damn good. Uh, last two years, barrel rate was right around 17%. Uh, good X slug, 597, 526. Woba over 400. Hard hit rate right around like 45, 46%. And last year, he had 29 home runs in just 381 plate appearances. And you know, he's kind of had a lot of those years where it's like the per 650 numbers, especially power-wise, were very, very good. But he just couldn't stay in the field, whether it's it was like, very these little various injuries, never like any huge injuries, but just like you know, a, a strained this and a dinged up that, you know, it's just kept him out of the lineup more often than you'd like. So, if he can stay, you know, if he can DH a bit here with Darren Ruff, stay in the lineup and get 500, just give me 500 player appearances. I think he could definitely blow past his ADP, which currently sits at about 225. He's kind of in that corner infield cluster. In that range, where you got Frankie Schwindel, you got uh, Nathaniel Lowe, Bobby Dahlbeck, um, a lot of intriguing guys in that range. And I'm, well, I like a lot of those names. I like Dahlbeck. I like Lowe. I think that he could easily post a b- much better season than any of those guys. And it wouldn't surprise me if looking at like, the Rasball Player Raider next offseason, if Belt is top 75 guy this year with 35 home runs, a good average, good accounting stats, uh, if he can get that playing time. So, Definitely love Brendan Belt out there uh, in San Fran and Darren Ruff and Longoria. His con- his quality of contact metrics are pretty damn good, too. I think people kind of forget how good Longoria was because he got injured yet again, which has been an issue for him throughout his career. But very good you know, quality of contact metrics for him. He was on having a pretty damn good year before he got hurt. So he can stay healthy with that added DH time that he can get out there. I won't be surprised if we see one last kind of like hurrah for Longoria, maybe not uh, Joey Votto levels, but one last hurrah for Longoria could be uh, could be coming here in 2022. So um, don't write it off Longoria for sure. Uh, let's move on here. The other, another team that I looked at, Milwaukee. There's a few play. There's another team that has a few players that definitely could benefit. I looked at there's three that stood out to me in Milwaukee: Rowdy Telez, Tyrone Taylor, and Lorenzo Cain. 
You know, I think people were still wondering if Rowdy Telez was going to be an everyday guy this year. You know, I thought maybe there's a platoon coming at first base, but even if, even if he does quote unquote you know split time at first base with whether it's Kesson Curia or Mike Brousseau or whoever they want to put there as well. I think with the added DH, I think Telez is in the lineup almost every day. And I think he's another guy where you look at the numbers for him last year once he came over from uh, Toronto were pretty damn solid. He had uh, 272, 333, 481 slash line with seven home runs. He's always had pretty solid quality of contact metrics as well. So, you know, a full 550, 600 plate appearances out of him could be, you know, another like kind of Seth Beer type of numbers, you know, 270 or so average, maybe mid 20s home runs, solid counting stats. He won't give you any speed, obviously, but uh, he's a very good hitter. He's always been a very good hitter and just needed the playing time. I think he could get that now. So, Rodney Telez is a very, very strong target where he's going on ADP right now. Yeah, he's not going, I mean, he's not going early at all. You can get him pretty late. And I'm expecting the bat to play every day. I mean, he's going to see a lot of time at first. Plus the DH benefits him as well. Tyrone Taylor, beneficiary. Telling you the sleeper here, Keston Huria. I mean, he's reworking the swing, <laughs> getting rid of the toe tap. We've seen it before. It, uh, now's the time to buy. I'm telling you, it's so cheap. I mean, he wasn't yeah, he wasn't it's, it's a second free. rounder. Yeah, he wasn't a second <laughs> rounder ever, but now he's going like pick 500. So I'll take the stab here because I'm intrigued. He's gotten rid of the toe tap. He's reworking things. Get the mental game right and. Keston here could we've seen it. We've seen how good he can be before. He's the most bizarre. I've never seen a player fall off like Hura did. I know. It's, he was elite, elite, elite contact in college and as a prep player, even in his early minor league days. And he sold it all for power and then he just lost all of it. So it was bizarre. I, I don't know. I still think somewhere in there that Hura has those contact skills and he finds them again, mixes that with power, chips in a few steals. He might be interesting. Uh, I, I I want to <laughs> I want to buy in the Harry's. I like Harry. He looks like a likable dude. He's always smiling, good natured. Seems like a good guy. And yeah, he was he was a, a prospect favorite of mine coming up through the Milwaukee organization. Like you mentioned, he was it was weird how his pro- offensive profile just took a complete one eighty once he got to the major leagues. He went from like a guy that was kind of like Lucia Arias, where it was like, all right, really good contact sales, probably hit for a good average, but. Maybe the power won't quite be as robust, we'd hope. Then I was like, all right, gets up the majors. He's hitting for more power, but now like the average and the context skills and this, you know, the approach went in, in the gutter. So I want to believe in Kessenheria, but I think I'm, you know, it, around pick 500, it, actually he's free now. He went from being full price to bargain bin. Now the store is like, here, we'll pay you to take Kessenheria <laughs> off the shelf. That's what, that's where his value is at now in his price tag. So, yeah, for how late it is, it's worth you know taking the stab in at least a couple of leagues here on here to see if he can get that value up. But um, Tyrone Taylor is a decent one too. Like you know, last year quietly in 271 plate appearances, Taylor had 12 home runs and six steals. Um, I don't think he's going to be ever hit for a great average, but if he's playing or at least close to full time, this could be a guy that flirts with like a you know 15 to 20 homer, 10 to 15 steal type of season, just like a sneaky little power speed guy. Uh, later in your drafts. And then Lorenzo Cain last year too, quietly had eight home runs and 13 steals in just 78 games. And he's shown to be a, you know, it was three straight years, um, two straight years where he had double digit home runs and 25 plus steals. I uh, did that also back in 2015. So he said three years 
of 10 plus home runs, 25 plus deals. You know, I could still see him pushing 10 home runs and 20 steals because, you know, he's only played 83 combined games over the last two years. Injuries have kind of caught up to him now as he gets into his uh, mid thirties here, but if he can stay and get that DH spot, you know, mix in with some outfield, keep his old body healthy. Kane could be a really sneaky little power speed guy late in your draft. He's going right around pick 350, kind of in a similar range with Mike Moustakis, Longoria's in this range, Pavin Smith, Jaron Duran, uh, Isaiah kind of Falefuds. And a lot of the guys that don't intrigue me nearly as much, you know, Longoria does intrigue me some, but I think Kane's a nice little late round guy now. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I mean, his biggest factor is health. He could stop running. I mean, he'll be 36 soon, so could stop running. Who knows? I mean, he's not going to have much power, but you're right. Just 286 plate appearances last year. 813 is not bad for, for the amount of plate appearances he had, so he could be sneaky. I think there's a lot of intrigue in this lineup. This lineup may not be bad either. I think they could see a lot of runs and RBI opportunities across the board. I mean, look up and down, and the addition of Hunter Renfro, quiet but really good. Rowdy Telez in there. A lot of names I really like in this lineup, so it could be a fun one for sure. Absolutely. Uh, real quick before we get into some prospects here uh, to round out the show, we got to talk a little bit of Ronald Acuna. We, we, we kind of skipped over him when we were, when we were in uh, talking about Atlanta. I think Uzuna will be primarily there, but do you are you more comfortable taking – Acuna, you know, maybe even closer to top five now with the added DH. That's something that Nick Savali was saying. Like, you know, when we, I, I forget who asked, someone asked him, whether it might have been us or someone else, you know, like when he thought this is earlier in the offseason, we'd see Acuna. And he said, if there's a DH opening day. So are you more confident taking Acuna at his ADP or even a little bit higher now that he has that DH spot where he can kind of not have to play the outfield every day? Yeah, I mean, I was already comfortable taking him there. I just didn't have to. So I've been the Acuna optimist, not even as a Braves fan, but just looking at athletes and the recovery from ACL surgeries, he's an elite athlete. He's a freak of nature. And you look at what he's been doing, the progression that he's made, and everybody's like, oh, he's not going to be ready till mid-May. That's not true at all. Like, come on. This dude's going to be <laughs> out there on opening day if he wants to be, and he's going to be. And even if opening day's delayed, let's take that out of the question. If opening day was April 1st, he was going to be in the lineup on April 1st. There was zero doubt about that. Listen, think back to all the football players that have come back quicker to game action. And football is much more wear and tear on your ACL than playing baseball. Like you're having to plant and cut. Like if you're a running back, like think about Adrian Peterson. He came back in less than eight months and he was on the field in game. He tore both the ACL and MCL in his left knee and he came back and was playing at full speed. Clemson. University had a football player come back within five months and played full speed at wide receiver. So crazy things happen, and there's no doubt in my mind. Like, I'll take the discount all day, so you can keep letting him get around pick 10. I'll be very happy with that, and, like, I'll set KDS accordingly because that's a great spot to start my team with Acuna there. The questions about him not running seem silly. I, I think he's going to steal plenty of bases. I think that the ACL is going to be stronger than it ever was. Like, this is what happens when people have the surgery like this. They come back just as strong or stronger. And you're telling me that Ronald Acuna doesn't have the drive to be elite again. He's going to hit homers. He's going to steal bases. He's going to hit for average. Like, I'm not going to be surprised when he returns top three value for fantasy. And he's going at the back end or at the back end of the 10. I'll take that all day. And I certainly think the DH helps him. 
but I don't think he needed it anyway, but it will help him for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've been an optimist on Acuna as well, and even like even at let's say a lot of the projection systems have him right around like 25, 26 steals. Take eighty percent of that. You know, even if you want to be more on the cautious side, that's still about twenty steals. Like I, I think, I, what per, what percent chance would you give Acuna of stealing twenty plus? I'll say like eighty five percent chance. Yeah, very very strong chances. I mean, so. What other player can you find that's going to give you 40-20? They're all going at the very top of the draft. Fernando Tatis Jr. I can't yeah. name. I mean, uh, Otani possibly, but Otani I don't think could. he steals that. He I only stole 15 last year. Out, outside chance, Lou Bob, if he puts it all together. Maybe. But yeah, it, like those guys are a dime a dozen. Even like, you know, maybe maybe not this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a 53-36 like year from Acuna. You know, yeah. Like, He's that damn talented, and yeah, just added DH. I think just kind of gives him that ability to rest, rest the knee, uh, not have to play the outfield every single day, which I think is definitely uh, helpful to his value for sure. Yeah, he, he was he he only had three hundred sixty plate appearances last year for tearing it, and he was twenty four seventeen. Like the dude was pacing at outrageous levels. I mean, he was going. I think he could have gotten forty forty, no doubt. And he that's was, yeah, definitely on that pace. Pretty, yeah, pretty rare. So. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if he turned up the wheels and say, you know what? I'm going to show that I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. I think he is. I think he's going to be. And, and you, we can keep pulling the narrative. He hasn't trained with team doctors. This man is a pro baseball player that, and, and I don't know, he hasn't, he didn't sign like the most amazing contract in the world, but he can work with any doctor that he wants to. He can afford any doctor that he wants to work with and it's going to help him get back. He doesn't need the team doctors to help him get back on the field. He's working with the best of the best right now and he's going to be back on the field. No questions asked. Definitely agree there as well. Uh, let's round out the show with some prospects that benefit from this added National League DH long term. You know, for me, I looked at some of the team, I, I, more so I looked at the, the teams and the situations there as opposed to the player. Um, it's it kind of hard to figure out, like, all right, this guy can't play the field. Like, there's some of those guys. But I looked at some of the more crowded situations, like go right back to the Dodgers. I think there was a few guys here, uh, three that I looked at in particular that could benefit long-term. Guys like Miguel Vargas, uh, Diego Cartea, Michael Bush, you know, three of their top hitting prospects that, you know, their kind of path to everyday playing time was, you know, it's not really clear right now because obviously Vargas – is blocked at the corners. Maybe he could be a guy that slots in the third base once Justin Turner retires, but who knows who the Dodgers bring in before Turner retires. So that's definitely not you know a guarantee. Cartea, Will Smith is still there. Um, so he's not gonna overtake Will Smith anytime soon. So uh, he was one of the you know more uh, offensively gifted catchers in the minor league. So I think this is a, a potential uptick to his value. And Michael Bush, like he plays he's played some first, but mostly a second base guy which is Gavin Lux gave him break to the lineup yet. So uh, Bush, another guy too. So uh, th those are the three I looked at immediately was those three Dodgers. Yeah, Bush is a not a good glove. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if he certainly benefits. He could be a future DH. So all those in the crowded lineups you mentioned, like the Dodgers are always going to be crowded. So players are going to struggle to find ways to get in. So another lineup spot certainly helps them. So you're right, those three are big ones. Marco Luciano is one that stood out to me. He's not a great glove. He's yeah. not a natural shortstop, in my opinion. He's not – he doesn't excel in the field. So I think that the bat can be good. I mean, we saw him regress, and I faded him. But I still think there's elite power here. 
he gets the contact together, he could be really good and he could benefit from that. Not saying he won't play the field, but he's one that's glove is mm, meh. So he could help. Tell you another one that I really like in Cincinnati is Tyler Callahan, who has had some injuries. So he uh, had Tommy John last year. So he missed some time and will miss some time this year. But he doesn't have a true defensive home either. They list him at second base. Not great in the field. So he's a solid bat too. I mean, he could. he's one that Cincinnati doesn't have a great team. And I don't know what their plans are moving forward, like what they're going to do with the team. So he could certainly see a, a time in the lineup and, and really benefit there. So thought about Callahan and Cincinnati. Any other National League guys that you thought of? Yeah, th- th- there's a few more here. Uh, one that stood out, that's kind of going down my my rankings here. I think Mark Vientos could yep. this could help him out because, you know, they got Pete Alonzo already at first base, entrenched there. Also have Brett Beatty, um, who I think uh, is probably their third baseman of the future. But where does that leave Mark Vientos? And he's had an up and down minor league career, but as of right now, and everyone has, you know, recency bias, short term memory. You know, everyone looks at what what have you done for me lately? And he's coming off a very good year. Uh, last year, he had 25 home runs in just 349 plate appearances with a 581 slug, along with a 281 average and 352 OBP. So, very good power bat. Can always hit for a solid average. He's a career. 269 hitter in the minor leagues. So, um, but that power is really, really ticked up uh, this past year. So he was one where I'm like, where does he fit in? Like, he's a guy that's definitely on the rise, has that power frame. He's 6'4, filling out that frame. He looks at that 185. I think he's a little bit more than that now, but definitely a guy that was like, all right, this is a very intriguing bat. Where does he fit in with, you know, like we already talked about the Mets and their current log jam where they can't get guys like Dom Smith and JD Davis in the lineup. And, who knows? Like Vientos isn't going to be up this year. No, he might. He got up to AAA last year, but I don't think he's a guy that gets much time. So more so a 2023 guy. So maybe some of this logjam has been kind of cleared up by then and be a trade, like, like you mentioned earlier, Chris. So Vientos is definitely one that I looked at to see, all right, maybe this guy could be their full-time DH or maybe, you know, he gets some time at third base and they DH Pete Alonzo, whatever it may be. But yeah, Vientos is one that I definitely was intrigued by here. Yeah, he's a good bat too. And he really made some progression last season. So he could see some time up. One that's kind of intriguing to me is Luis Camposano in San Diego. Yeah. I mean, they obviously don't love him behind the dish because they haven't given him a fair shake and they just keep bringing in catchers like they brought in Jorge Alfaro, which was weird. But Camposano's bat is good. So he could slot in and see some time this year. I mean, even Nolan Gorman, I don't know what kind of hitter Gorman's going to be long term and they've moved him to second base. But I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's a stellar second baseman. So Gorman, we mentioned Yepes also in St. Louis. So that's a pretty obvious fit there. The Cardinals infield being pretty stacked and not not a ton of room. So either of those guys could slot in the designated hitter role when ready. And I think Yepes has probably shown everything that he can in the minor leagues. Yeah, St. Louis was another kind of you know, log gym that I was looking at with Yepes and Nolan Gorman as well. Even even Jordan Walker, like, and he's a little further away, obviously, but. Where does he fit in long term? You know, um, does, even if you get Gorman into the lineup, does they still have Arenado at third base for the next handful of years? I forget exactly how long, but uh, so does are they gonna put Walker at first? Are they gonna have to, have to DH him? So I think this definitely helps. He would have probably found the way anyway if he continues on his current, you know, progression offensively and he turned into an absolute stud at the plate. They would have found a spot for him. I think long term, he's better than Nolan Gorman. So they would have found a spot for that bat. But I think this just helps them get him into the lineup, 
easier, whether they want to put him at DH or put him at first base and Goldie DHs, whatever it may be. So uh, definitely Walker, Yepes, Gorman. This definitely helps all of them long term because we're not they're going to take over a lot of these guys that are already in the lineup because all, all these Gold Club caliber defenders uh, that St. Louis has five of them last year. So that is definitely not going to be overtaken by a prospect. So definitely like the nice little added flexibility with that DH there in St. Louis for guys like Yepes, Gorman, and Walker, who are all very good prospects in their own right. Uh, any other prospects here, Chris, that you um, kind of looked at? I, I looked at San Fran a little bit. They have a lot of uh, talented, like, outfield. You know, we already mentioned Luciano, but maybe, you know, Jairo Pomares or Hunter Bishop yep. or, you know, they also lose Matos, Kilio uh, Ramos. So, like, you can't start all of those guys. So uh, maybe that helps. I mean, maybe even Joey Bart is the long-term DH that they bring in uh, a better starting option there uh, behind the plate. So I think San Fran's got some guys, too, that um, – could be beneficiaries. And then one more uh, for the Dodgers that I forgot to mention, uh, Andy Pajes, he could be a nice DH fit long-term, huge power bat. They have so many outfielders already, you know, Dodgers are kind of loaded everywhere. And uh, so where did, where did Andy Pajes fit in? And he was, obviously he's not going to be a guy that debuts this year, but I think did he get the double A last year. Was it just high a, Um, I think he went to double A. That could be mistaken. I'm pulling him up right now. I uh, know it was just high A, but he spent the entire year in high A, so he'll be at double A this year. Maybe see some triple A later on and be up next year at some point. This guy had 31 home runs and 538 plate appearances with a 265, 394, 539 slash line. Uh, very intriguing back 2019. More of the same, 298, 398, 651, 19 home runs, 7 steals in 63 games. Very, very good bat, but just didn't have that long-term fit with the Dodgers, so Pajas could be another one that has some sneaky uh, value increase here as well. Any uh, any other guys you thought of here, Chris? No, man, I think that's good. It's uh, certainly going to be fun. I'd love to see how it's going to affect baseball once we get it going. But, yeah, it's going <laughs> to be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing the DH in the National League. No more pitcher injuries from swinging a bat. Like, thank goodness that that's over. Yes, that is uh, – like someone put on Twitter, like, RIP to pitchers hitting – um, though you might see like Bumgarner, you know, pinch hit in a weird situation late innings, but yeah, we are done for the most part with pitchers hitting outside of Otani, and I can watch Otani hit every, every day of the week. So, um, but that is going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross zero four, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon. And over at Fantasy Pros as well. We're both writing over there as well. An article a week, so check that out as well. And join us again next time for more Fantasy Baseball Talk. But until then, everyone take care.